church. Man, it is good to be back in the teaching role after uh, some time with a bit of surgery on my ankle and the recovery after that. It is good to be back with you. I want to thank you just for the well wishes and the prayers. I've been given a clean bill of health and cleared for regular activity just in time for the kickoff of our journey towards Christmas and the launch of our Home for Christmas series. And I'm glad you're here. I hope you had a wonderful time with family and friends over Thanksgiving. Over that weekend, we actually wrapped up our Go Be Love journey, and we focused on gratitude last weekend. But in the weeks prior, that whole journey was about our opportunity that we take every year to pause and refocus on our missional investments. Our missional investments, we call them sent investments, because we know that Jesus said in John 20, verse 21, as the Father sent me, so I send you. So all of our missional investments are expressions of the reality we know we are to live sent. And each year we take time to look back, at least once a year, to look back and celebrate what God has done, but also to lean forward and continuing to live as Jesus has called us to live. And that's our Go Be Love emphasis. If you want to know more about what's going on locally and globally in those SENT investments, you can get online at heritageqc.com and under the SENT page, see those. If you want to grab a flyer that looks like this out in your campus lobby at the SENT table, you can do that. But I want to draw your attention to the Faith Promise card, which when you came in today, maybe you sat on it, maybe it's just within arm's reach in the seat back in front of you. But faith promise is how we fund all of our missional investments. We've, this is how we've done it for years. And, and each year we pause and invite each other to talk to God, to hear from Him about what resources He will want to bring into our life so that He can pass them through our hands for His kingdom work. Those may be resources we have or not have, but we're not talking about shifting the tithe. We're not talking about a, a special offering in the sense of that we're asking for money. This is, this is the opportunity for each of us to talk with God and say, Lord, what are you going to give to me in the next 12 months that you want to pass through my hands for your kingdom work locally and globally? That's faith promise. And many of you have done this for years. You've been, faith, years, you've been very faithful. Just last year, we received $325,000 to invest and kingdom work around the world. That's phenomenal. I want to say thank you for your faithfulness. This year we're shooting for a goal of $350,000. And if, if you've taken the time to pray and you've heard from the Lord, we'd love to know what he has told you. Let us know using this card. You can go online at heritageqc.com, again, at the Live Sent page, and, and you can fill that out online. But we want to hear back from what God has told you, because understanding the commitment level He's given to you helps us understand how to manage the partnerships and opportunities with the resources that will come over the, the coming year. So let us know. Even if it's something that you're just doing again, you're repeating, please 
communicate once again that that's what you're committing to, what God has asked you to commit to. That's something Beth and I are following through. We're, we're filling out a card again this year, just like any other year, because we are part of the journey and making sure that we know and the church knows what stewardship looks like. And so thanks for being willing to do that. Just pray and talk to God and do whatever he says. Now, we're stepping into our approach to Christmas. This is the first weekend of Advent. Advent is a time of, of expectant waiting and preparation to celebrate the birth of Jesus. One of my favorite times of year. I know it's the same for many of you. And in this Advent season, this approach to Christmas, we're taking time to understand what it means to come home for Christmas, the, the title of our series. Now, home in the dictionary is defined this way, a place of origin. It's where we're from, where we come from. It's also defined as a place where we put in which one's domestic affections are centered. It's where we put our affections and, and center our love. But it's also been defined as a place where one lives, especially as a member of a family or household. These are the dictionary definitions of home. And the reality is we each live in this world that has lots of complexity. There's busyness and there's business, there's challenges, all kinds of things can position us to long to retreat home, to, to return home as, as a place of protection and comfort and just care. But when we're talking about home in the series, we're not talking about a house. A house can become a home, you have to make it one. But when we're talking about home in this series, we're, we're thinking specifically this way. We're talking about experiencing relationship as it should have been. Experiencing relationship as it should have been or as it should be. I encourage you to write that down somewhere in your note guide if you want to. This is the definition we're using. We're talking about coming home in our journey towards Christmas. It's about experiencing relationship as it should have been. We're talking about relationship with God, our Heavenly Father, but we're also talking about relationship with people around us. And, and we're, we're having a conversation that's relational, not positional. See, for many people, home is a very special place. It's filled with love and laughter and life. But I also realize not everybody's experience in the home context is a good one. For many, they experience heartbreak, tragedy, even pain. And if that's been your experience, I want you to understand that that is not God's intent. And today, he wants to begin to do a new thing in that area of your life if you will let him. He wants you to experience relationship with him and others as it should be. Sometimes the family context can be marked by tragedy and pain. Many families feel that. But one thing I know about every family, every family experiences awkwardness. The family can be great, right? But family can be challenging. Can I get an amen? Amen. We have all heard that in every family, there's at least that one crazy, weird, odd family member that just sits in the family. And if you know, maybe you're picturing who that person is right now, and if they're here in the room with you, Bendorf, can you want to go ahead and point at him real quick? No, don't do that. No, don't point at him. That's rude. Okay? But you may be picturing that one crazy, weird, odd family member, and if you're struggling to picture who that is in your family, it's probably because your family's thinking about you. I'm just saying just saying. The family can be fun and can put the fun in dysfunction, but it can also just that be awkward. And some of that awkwardness, when we're talking about the holidays and we're, you know, we gather with family in holiday season, that awkwardness can just be amplified. And, and 
it can really come out in Christmas pictures, family Christmas pictures. In fact, I want to show you three family Christmas pictures that really capture what's kind of wrong, odd, and awkward about family at Christmas. Here's the first one. Listen, at Christmas pajamas are great, but apparently the dad only received the bottoms of the Christmas pajamas this year, and uh, I call this picture wrong. This is just wrong. Very comfortable, clearly as a family, they're comfortable, but wrong. All right, here's this next one I call odd. I don't understand why the cat gets double billing. Unless the floating cat head is the dead brother or sister of the cat wearing the sweater. I don't know. It's odd either way. You with me? Okay, this last picture, family picture, is awkward. It's awkward. So you have, you have the mom and dad with a sign saying that they're excited. You have a sibling with their fiancé saying that they're engaged on their sign. You have another sibling with their spouse and daughter saying that they're expecting. And then you have Emily. The single, unattached family member. Sometimes the family dynamic can just be awkward. And quite honestly, the circumstances of life can cause us to feel like we're not at home even when we're with family. But whether you come from a normal or abnormal family, the reality is that God has made a way for you to be part of his family. Whatever kind of family you come from, God desires to live in relationship with you and his family. And the home that he wants to create is one of belonging. It's one that sets our identity. It helps us understand who we are in him. He has made a way for us to be part of his family. And, and as, as creator, he is our source of origin. And there is an opportunity for us to come home to him for the first time or once again so that we can experience relationship with him as it should be. The question is, how do we do that? And we're going to take some time to look at that today because God ultimately wants all of us to, to live in relationship with him as sons and daughters, his sons and daughters. In fact, it was the Apostle Paul who in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 captured and quoted the words of God. He said, uh, in quoting the Lord, I I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. This is experiencing relationship as it should have been. This is the reality of coming home. It's a beautiful, wonderful thing. It, it, it communicates God's desire. It communicates his heart. It communicates his perspective and his love for us. It expresses the reality of our spiritual home, our place of origin, the place that our affection should be centered, the reality that we can be part of his family and his household. It's the context of identity and belonging. Look, there's a, there's a very simple concept that we've actually looked at before that if we don't understand, the rest of this conversation won't make much sense. That the simple reality is that our being leads to our doing. This is how God has designed and created us. That who we are determines what we do. Not the other way around. It's not our doing that, de that defines us, but our being that determines what we do. Our identity leads to our purpose. Our being leads to our doing. 
That who we are determines what we do, not what we do defining who we are. This is how God designed it. Are you tracking? Listen, this is how we should live, but far too often, especially in the context of home and relationships and family, we think our doing then defines who we are, but God says, look, you are image bearers. I put my image in you. Therefore, who you are should define what you do. And we're going to take a look at how this plays out in a very specific way in the context of home for Christmas. In fact, I want to take a look at how Jesus unpacked this concept in a parable. So if you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to grab it and turn to Luke chapter 15. If you don't have it, that's okay. You can use your note guide or you can follow along on the screen. We're going to be reading in Luke chapter 15, which is it's a parable that Jesus told. A parable is a, a simple story with a, a spiritual truth. And, and it's coming on the heels of a couple of other parables. And this particular parable is called the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son. And, and it follows a, a couple of parables about a few other lost things. But we're going to pick this up in, in verse 11. I'm going to read it here out of, out of my Bible. You can follow here on the screen or you can read in your Bible or in your note guide. But let's just take a look at what Jesus is saying here in this particular parable. He says, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Now we don't know why this son approached his dad to do this. It could be he was just plain out selfish. It could be he was angry, arrogant. We don't understand the why behind it, but what he did was not normal. It was, it was out of the norm. In fact, it was a bit offensive in a way he's asking for his father's death. Like, give me what I get from you so I can go do my thing. We don't know why he did it, but we do know what he does as a result. So we look back into scripture, verse 13. Not long after that, the younger son got together, all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Okay, that's not a good thing. He has run out of resources. He, he squandered everything. Verse 14, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So bad went to worse. The famine hit, everything gets more difficult for him. Verse 15, so he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. Now on the surface, great, he's got a job, he can make a living, but the reality is pigs were considered unclean to Jewish people. So this was not only unacceptable, this was offensive. Yet he didn't have much options. Verse 16, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. He, he was ready to eat the food of the pigs, the, the low of lows. But yet no one would help him. No one would show mercy. He was a stranger in a foreign land. It was in a difficult place. But in verse 17, we read that when he came to his senses, and, and, and literally in the original manuscript, it's when he came to himself, when he remembered who he was, his identity, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back. I will return home to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. Now, this young man had a plan because he wanted to go home. But in order to actually get home, he had, he had to do it. He, he actually had to make, put action. He actually had to do something in order to get there. 
Because although he wanted to go home, that verse 20 reality that he got up and went to his father, that is key. It took an action component because in the reality, wanting to do something is not the actual same as doing it. This is your first feeling if you want to track along your note guide. Wanting is not the same as actually doing. To desire something is not the equivalent of actually doing it or achieving it or attaining it. He actually had to go and do. And when it comes to home, when it comes to issues of home, wanting will never satisfy longing. Going is the only thing that satisfies longing. And this guy had a plan. He thought of a way out of the mess that he had made. But here's the thing. Many of us, when we find ourselves in a situation where we've made some decisions and now we're in a difficult place, we may want to go home, but we often don't because we don't know how. We don't see a way. We want to go, but we don't know how to work our way back. You know, when I was a state trooper, I, can, I, can, I cannot count how many times I was sent to an incident, whether it was a domestic, a fight, some kind of altercation, just some, some kind of crazy situation. Nearly every time when I got there, there was at least one person who had made a series of decisions that had worked themselves into a corner, that had escalated the situation, that had made them committed to a statement or a belief or an attitude or you name it. They just made a series of decisions. They got themselves in a corner and they were stuck and they just kept escalating the situation because they couldn't see a way out. But there was a beauty for every time that I could step into that situation and show them a way out with dignity. Sometimes it meant arrest, but not all the time. Just creating the space and a pathway to come out, to just to give them a way out with dignity, changed everything. And we all make mistakes. We know that. We work ourselves into corners. We put our, get ourselves in places we never intended to go, just like this young man in the parable. And when we can see a way out, that's when we can take it. When we make our mistakes with our friends, our family, or even with God, it's just finding the way out. But when it comes to God, the way out is to simply start with just being. With God, we can just be. And then we can do what is right and needed out of who we are, this direction. It's being leading to doing, not the other way around. But, but listen, the young man in the parable, he, his, his view and his plan were all inverted. He, he was viewing himself out of what he had done, determining he was no longer worthy to be his father's son, doing leading to being. And then he developed a plan that he would do something in order to become something, a servant. In his mind, it made sense. In his mind, it was his way out, but it was wrong and inverted to his purpose, to his identity and purpose, and to the view that his father had. Being leads to doing. So let's take a look at what happens as we keep reading. Verse 20, uh, we see the word but. Anytime you see the word but in a narrative, that means there's a change, a, a twist, there's some kind of transition. So it says, but while, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. You know what that tells me? He was looking. He was longing. His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He doesn't, doesn't say that he was filled with frustration, disappointment, anger, sadness. I mean, the father may have felt those things, but in the moment of a return, he is filled with compassion. Home is not just a place where we're welcome, it's also a place that we're wanted. So much so that he runs to his son. He threw his arms around him and he kissed him. He didn't wait for him. He ran and welcomed him. But then the son gives his prepared speech. He says, uh, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father ignores the speech. <laughs> There's some truth in what he's saying. 
But it's inverted. He's talking from doing to being, and the father's like, yeah, I'm not listening to that. And he actually turns around and says to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf, kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine. Identity. This son of mine. Belonging. This son of mine. Being was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. He has come home. And so they began to celebrate. This is, this is a great story that I think connects personally to all of us in lots of different levels and in our families. And, and the four things that the father does, the ring and the robe and the, and the calf and all that stuff, man, it, the sandals, that, those weren't necessarily necessities for the son to survive and be physically healthy, but they were essential for his emotional well-being because they, identified, they gave him identity again. They communicated love. They reminded the son of who he was, that his being leads to doing. Now here's what I want you to understand about this whole journey. The son, when the father declares that he was found, being found first required a return. And returning first required remembering who he was and whose he was. See, in this parable, Jesus is actually talking, um, describing the heart of God toward us. To all who wander away and find ourselves in places we never intended to go. It is in that space that we can and we must remember who we are. That our being leads to doing. Not what we've done defining who we are, but who we are as image bearers of the king defining what we're able to do. That we're able to come home. Experiencing relationship as it should have been. It's true for us today we can experience what that young man experienced if we just come home. You know, part of our Go Be Love journey, we unpacked the call to live sent by looking at a beautiful story of redemption and reconciliation. It was from a 60-minute segment called New Columbia that captured the story of reconciliation and peace after more than 50 years of conflict in Colombia between the revolutionary forces of the FARC and the Colombian government where thousands of guerrillas laid down their arms and came home. There are lots of reasons for why that happened. Part of it was negotiation, part of it was amnesty, but there was a significant part of it that was prayer, as the church engaged in prayer. One of the other key factors was that there was a marketing company that was hired by the government to communicate the invitation to come home, to communicate and, and build bridges for reconciliation. They did that by throwing soccer balls into the jungle with messages written on them. They did that by setting up uh, Christmas lights and displays, inviting people to come home for Christmas. They did that by putting messages and lighted canisters and launching them down the rivers, thousands of them, inviting them to, the rebels to come home. But one of the most impactful things they did was to engage mothers of rebels. The company found 27 mothers of active rebels and, and invited them to send a message to their children to invite them home. They secured pictures of their kids, young enough where they wouldn't, only the, the rebel would recognize themselves in the picture. And they sent these messages, put them all in banners and flyers all around the, around the jungle, saying, come home, we're waiting for you. I want to show you the, a Ministry of Defense video from Colombia that actually summarizes what happened and what took place. Take a look at this. 
programa, muchos amigos que me dieron fortaleza y que sí, que mismo algún día pudiera salir de allá, porque es muy difícil, uno no sabe si vuelve a ver uno a sus hijos o no. Before, you, before being a gorilla, you are my son. In some cases, as you saw, mothers waited more than 20 years to give that invitation to invite their child home. The marketing leadership specifically stated the campaign message this way, before you were a gorilla, you were my child. That's powerful. Before you were a gorilla, you were my child, you were my son, my daughter. You were mine and you are mine. Before you were a rebel, before you left, before you did what you did, you were mine and you are mine, come home. That's powerful. So much so that almost right away, 196 gorillas dropped their arms and came home. By the end, 218 gorillas would leave the battle and come home. In 2012, after 52 years of conflict, the Colombian government and the FARC sat down and negotiated peace. Listen, this, this story is powerful and it's beautiful, but it illustrates, illustrates the heart of God and the heart of, for us as a church. The, the reason that we make the investments we make expressed in our missional investments, our sent investments. The reason we seek to build bridges, the reason we talk about building bridges over the second gap is expressed in that story. It's, it expresses the heart of God. Building gaps over relationships, 
so that every son and daughter can come home. It's a beautiful, wonderful thing. Before you were a gorilla, you were my child. It's true for you and I. You know, the parable that Jesus told was about a father. This illustration I just gave you involves mothers. And there's something about parents, and especially moms, where they hold a space for kids. A, a space where they remind them of who they are and who they can be. Reminding them of what potential is in them. Providing a context for them to be, but also to become. And, and my mom did that for me. I, I lost my mom to the battle of cancer. It'll be four years this coming January. But my mom was someone who spoke life into me. My mom was someone who, who saw potential in me and saw me for what I could be, not just what I was, what I had done or where I had fallen short. Someone who, who actually saw what I could be and spoke that into me. And I, I still miss her and I will always miss her. But she was someone who continued to remind me of what was possible, what what. what what potential was within me. Even as I went to college, I was in the military and I worked in other places, she was someone who readily waited to welcome me home. Perhaps that's been your experience with your parents and in your family. Because a mother's love is great, but God's love is greater. And I want to invite each of us to consider how we would hear from God in the statement that was said before, that before being a gorilla, you were my child. Uh, to specifically look at the fill-in being child in your note guide. But how would God say this to you? How he, would he complete this statement in your life? Before you were a rebel, you were my child. Before you left, before you were broken, before you rebelled, before you were unfaithful, before you wandered, you were my child. How would God complete this statement for your life? You know, the word prodigal literally means wasteful. Before you were wasteful of time, town, treasure, you were my child. Christmas is a time of year that we celebrate the birth of Jesus. He, he came, Emmanuel, God with us. But it was more than that because it was part of God's plan to allow us to come home to allow us to come back to him. So much so that through the prophet Isaiah, he declared it. He did it this way. He said, the Redeemer, he's talking about Jesus here, years before Jesus would come. The Redeemer will come to Jerusalem to buy back, to ransom, to redeem, to pay penalty for, to buy back those in Israel who have turned, who have repented, who have returned from their sins, says the Lord. Those specific words, essentially, if we could just look at it from today and look back, he's saying, look, I'm going to send Jesus of Nazareth to be your redeemer so you can come home. <laughs> it's, it's beautiful. I'm doing that because you were my child before you did any of the things you did. Your being leads to doing. This is great news but it requires actually coming home. It's not something that is just longed for by a mother's love or a father's heart. It is actually something our heavenly father's power and desire can facilitate. 
Because just a few verses later, in, in the next part of, the, of Isaiah, he says this, Look and see, for everyone is coming home. Your sons are coming from distant lands. Your little daughters will be carried home. Experiencing relationship as it should have been. That is an expectant declaration, a hopeful cry that is the heart of God and the depth of Christmas. And no matter where you have been or what you have done, you can come home. And he longs for you to return, to come home this Christmas. You can. Right now, right where you're at, you don't have to wait any longer, walk any further. You can have a conversation for the first time or once again where you come home and experience a relationship as it should be with God. In your note guide, on the very back page, the very top, it says how to return home to God. I encourage you, if you've never had the conversation with the Lord where you come home, or if you've done it, but you've wandered before, you went and squandered your wealth in some other place, you've been, you've been struggling in famine of life somehow, to take today as the opportunity to have the conversation with him and simply come home. He longs for you to come home. When we, when we return, is important. The timing of it's important. The longer we wait, the more pain, more tragic, more painful, more tragic life can be. If that, the young man, if he had, before he squandered his wealth, gone home, it would have been better. Before the famine hit, it would have been better. If he had just stayed home in the first place and never left, it would have been better. But yet, even when he did finally return, he was welcomed with open arms. That's the heart of God for you and for me. He wants you. You see, home is where you're welcome. It's where you're run to. It's where you're hugged. It's where you're kissed. It's where you're blessed. Your relationship as it should be. It's where you're welcome, but it's also where you're wanted. Wanted. It's not just the place you're from. It's a place you're wanted and where you can be with. And at Christmas, that first Christmas, Jesus moved into the neighborhood for our good. He was the incarnation. And he did that so we could all come home. That's the mystery of mercy and the miracle of grace. That God chose to love a race of rebels and prodigals so we could come home. So what? Well, reality is you are sons and daughters of the king. Whether, whether you're walking with him or not, whether you've wandered off and, and squandered wealth somewhere else or not, you are a son and daughter of the king. And, and I, I wonder what it does it look like for you to come home this Christmas or for you to offer home to someone else. If you've already come home, you made that decision to Jesus be your Lord and Savior, you've come home and experienced a relationship as it should be, then you're positioned to help others do that. What does it look like for you to offer home to someone else. Christmas is an opportunity to build bridges, to welcome, to forgive, to bless, to run to others so they can come home. Moms hold a special space for kids to come home, to return, to be who they were created to be. And we can all do that to some degree for other people when we remind them of their God-given identity, that it's who they are in Him, not what they do that defines them. Being leads to doing who they're created for, who they're created to be, potential that's in them that they can have hope and peace and freedom. And Jesus, is, he has made a way and he's preparing a place. Here's what we find in the Gospels. It says this, these are words of Jesus. Do not let your hearts be troubled. 
You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Experiencing relationship as it should be. Coming home. The first time Jesus came, he gave us the ability to return home. The second time Jesus comes, he will actually take us there. And if you have received Jesus as Lord and Savior, you not only have new life, you have new access. You have the key of access to the Heavenly Father, to have a relationship as it should be. But just as the youngest son had to learn this reality, so do we. Returning requires releasing. Last filling in your note guide. Returning requires releasing. It requires releasing our failures, releasing our regret, our shame, releasing our fears. It, it, it involves owning what we've done. It involves confessing it, but releasing it in order to come home. Returning requires releasing. It happened for the son. The son had to release the stuff that had gone wrong in his life, but it also happened for the father. The father had to release the injustice. The father had to release the pain, the disappointment, in order for the son to come home. Returning requires releasing. But if you continue to read in Luke chapter 15, you're going to find the older brother who ended up pouting on a porch because he wouldn't release. He ended up preventing a full return in the family dynamic because he was unwilling to release and forgive. Wherever you fall in the story as someone who has wandered or someone who has been hurt by the wandering or someone who has been, had an injustice because of it, returning requires releasing. And whatever you need to release this Christmas so you can come home or somebody else can come home, be willing to do it. Be willing to look for ways to love people in their complexity. That could simply be providing and showing them a way out with dignity, not with shame. It could be creating space for others just to be welcomed and known that they're wanted. Where you forgive and you release the offense and you release the debt, you release the wrong. Look for ways to create space for people to return. Christmas provides a unique opportunity to build bridges where we can restore identity and purpose, where being leads to doing, where we experience relationship as it should be. But in order for that to happen, releasing is essential. Whatever you need to release this Christmas for you to come home or someone else to come home, be willing to do it. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for you're willing to release in our own journeys. God, I, I thank you for your great love expressed through your son Jesus and that through him, he made a way for us to come home, that we can be forgiven. And when we do return, Lord, you run to us and you embrace us and you lavish blessing on us because you love us. Father, I pray that as we process how we individually need to come home, first time or once again this Christmas or how we can create space for others to come home, that you'd speak to us, that we would be people of peace, that we would be people who build bridges of relationship so that all sons and daughters can come home. Because before we rebelled, before we wandered, before we were unfaithful, we were your child. 
So Lord, may we this Christmas return home and experience relationship with you as it should be because we're willing to release and you're willing to receive us through your son, Jesus. I pray this in his name and everybody said, amen.